Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you seriously never saw What If and or The F Word? Or, you never watched Crazy Stupid Love? Or, how have you not seen Bonnie and Clyde? again everyone and thank you for joining us for how have you not seen i am your co-host caroline thompson i'm carson betts and this is how have you not seen a movie podcast where each week we pick one of our favorite movies that the other hasn't seen we talk about it then we go and watch the movie and we talk about it some more it's gonna be a real good time bang bang shoot shoot and guess what there's a couple things you know about this movie um we're flipping the script this last year week of love month and I'm picking a love movie that Carson hasn't seen. Yeah. So that's new. Uh, Carson. Yeah. Carson, how have you not seen Bonnie and Clyde? Um, I don't know. I don't think there's a particularly great story to this one. I'm trying to think. I mean, my gr- I know my grandparents like this movie. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like this movie, obviously. Yeah. How cool. could they not? One of the great American folk stories that is based on a thing that I guess happened, right? Like, Bonnie and Clyde is, like, that really happened, right? Yeah, more or less. They were real people. Yeah, more or less. It's it's not, not like, you know, they're an American, it's like an American folk tale, but it's not like, like John Henry. Like, it's it, real people. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not Paul Bunyan and the Big Blue Ox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly the, the the tales of Bonnie and Clyde and certainly I'm sure a lot of what is in this movie is maybe perhaps a bit embellished or ahistoric, but like there, yeah. Certainly. So I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily a good answer as to why I've not seen this movie. I'm excited to do so now. I'm, I'm definitely excited to find out what about this movie is, you know, Hollywood Hollywood movie magic and what about it is as you know a, a straight historical representation of a thing that happened yes uh I do not think it's much of the much of the latter but also I don't, I don't actually tell you the truth I don't actually know I don't really actually know a whole lot of the the true history of Bonnie and Clyde but um so we're kind of dancing around it but so what do you know about Bonnie and Clyde that's the thing. I know a lot, uh, but, but I definitely think that my knowledge of the historical event is probably characterized largely by the popularity of the narrative in this film. So Bonnie and Clyde, they're two bad kids. He's a bad boy. She's a bad girl. They're, they kind of have, um, oh, uh, but, th- but they love each other and they're, they're bad together. They've got a, a relationship almost reminiscent of, say, oh, Harley Quinn and the Joker, one might say. Um <laughs> <laughs> they they do crime together. Uh, she she was his queen and he her king. Um, and they uh, go on a crime spree, robbing banks and shooting at the cops with Tommy guns. And I don't know, they're probably probably doing a lot of other sinful stuff too. Imagine they're probably you know like drinking alcohol and doing sexual things. But you know oh, they, yeah. they're, they're they're bad. They're bad, but they're bad together. And then they get, yeah. you know, 
they steal a bunch of money and then they get gunned down by the cops, right? Uh, die in a shootout. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I want you to remember. I want you to remember Carson for when you come back mm-hmm. to record this that she said, and they and they do sexual things because okay. Because I imagine the sex they have, it's probably a lot like, uh, say, the sex that like Machine Gun Kelly and uh, Megan Fox have. You know, it's it's kind of um, it's beautiful, but dark and disturbing and twisted, and twisted because uh, <laughs> they're so bad. Yeah, because they're so they're so crazy. They drink uh, each other's blood, and uh, I don't I don't know what do, what do Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox do. I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope they're happy. That's what I hope they do. <laughs> I hope so, too. I, I hope those two crazy kids are, are happy. Um, they're figuring it out. Well, cool. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all more or less, you know, right in the ballpark. Uh, yeah. For, for this part of the show. Uh, anything else you know about Bonnie and Clyde? Do you know the Do you no. know the two leads of the film? No, not. A, it's not a Warren Beatty. Is it is it? a Warren Beatty. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of his miracle run. The female lead is oh god, oh god! I know this. No, I know this because no joke. I've been reading. Um, and don't come at me for being a stereotypical film boy, but I've been. I for the second time in a year, I got gifted uh, the Quentin Tarantino book of essays. Like oh my god! Book. Wait, two no different joke. people gave you two different people, two different like lovely people who I love in my life who like obviously spent time and money and like thought of a cool gift to give me. And it's one of those things where if you get that gift one time, you're like, Oh, cool gift. If you get that gift twice, you're like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) What energy am I putting out? Right? No, absolutely. Um, But I've been reading that, but it's, it's very good. It's, it is, you gotta take it in doses because you read two chapters and you get to like, okay, that's enough Tarantino for one night. You're like, that's, you know, it does have the feeling of what if Quentin Tarantino got really high on Coke and like cornered you at a club and talked at you about movies for a while, which is very interesting for a short amount of time. And then certainly a lot. And when you were in full control of how, of how much of that you get in one sitting and for how long that goes on, I could imagine that would be something that that is an abyss. I would, I would peer into certainly. It's also, I'll tell you, it's because clearly, you know, he has, it it does a pretty good job of like the beginning of the book. You're like, oh, he's just talking about movies he likes. And by the end, you're like, oh, no, he's kind of, he's talking about an era. He's talking about uh, a business model that has gone away. It's it's actually, God, I hate that I'm talking about Tarantino so much, but it's a pretty good companion piece to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, actually. Um, But he mentions... He mentions this film and he talks about Beatty. Who's I? I, I don't know though. I can't recall. You're gonna say and I'm gonna be like, oh yes, of course. Yep. Um. Yeah. It is. Uh. It's Faye Dunaway. Uh, of course. Yep. Faye. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And just uh, while we're on the Tarantino book, I would say mm-hmm. that is an abyss. I would. I would. I would gaze into, but ain't no way I'm letting that abyss gaze back into. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> yes. You know, just like I, I'd make sure that didn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I got an extra copy if you want it. Nope, I'm yeah, good. <laughs> because you know what? Because you know yeah. what I have on our on our podcast YouTube account, not one that we mm-hmm. use and post on, but I have the the 4K of the Abyss that I can watch True. So. at any time. I'm staring into baby. Bet your ass it's that that nice 4K James Cameron. It's Cameron Abyss <laughs> movie I like a lot. 
Did we talk about T Fan ninety three on any of the James Cameron episodes? I don't think we did. I I'm gonna we're so. gonna do a, a special Patreon episode just about just about T Fan ninety three. My favorite my favorite social media influencer. Um, Love it. Uh, but so this movie, yeah, I, I think that's about all I know about this film. Wonderful. Well, if that's the case, are you ready to go into our game for the week, Carson? I'm so ready. Yes, I'm hyper ready. Perfect. Well, uh, the game we are playing this week is uh, it is our Untitled Letterboxd game. Um, and so if it's your first time joining us, the way Untitled Letterboxd game works is I have pulled three very negative reviews for three films, one of which is Bonnie and Clyde. The other two films are films that in some way, shape or form I have deemed to be tangentially related to uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And so I'm going to read these reviews uh, while changing any proper nouns that could give away what it is. And Carson has to guess which uh, review is for Bonnie and Clyde. And then uh, he gets bonus points if he can uh, if he can conjure up the other two titles. So Carson, are you ready? So ready. Okay. I'm ready. Review number one. Viewed October 13th, 2023. One half star. I hate the fan base for this. The only appeal this film has is the soundtrack. I hate everything else about it. I don't know why anyone ever cared about this film. Some things are simply a mystery. If you are new to classic cinema, I would recommend so many other films to start with that are so much better. Okay. Number two. I have a Django Unchained level hate for this movie. It's so bad. Not only is the acting horrible, which can't be dismissed as a product of its time, but there's a total of maybe three songs in the entire film. The main song that plays at any climactic moment is an unexpected hillbilly banjo moment that is absolutely despicable. Also, that one lady that does high-pitched screams the entire time does not add any enjoyment to the film. I would never watch this again, and I do not recommend it to anyone. There is nothing good about it. Okay. <laughs> and then for, for the folks sitting at home, um, as I was prepping this game, I said to Carson, I said, I think I may have found the most unhinged review I have ever, I have ever read on the show. Um, that is review number three, one half star reviewed Christmas day, 2023. <clears throat> so good. So good. I would rather watch my family die than watch this movie because at least there would be emotion parentheses kind of a crazy movie idea i.e clockwork orange and parentheses period how are the effects in this movie so fucking bad if the government could fake the moon landing in 1860 then they should be able to make this look better also the story is shit they fucked up the movie interpretation of these people so bad period fortnite battle royale it just ends with Fortnite Battle Royale. It is. They fucked up the they fuck up the movie interpretation of these characters so bad, period. Fortnite Battle Royale. That is the end of the review. Well, that makes me think that that would be two characters who are on Fortnite, and there are a lot of different characters on Fortnite. <laughs> Did Bonnie and Clyde ever make it well, to Fortnite? That's the thing I was going to say to the point where if they did a Bonnie and Clyde season on Fortnite, I actually would not be that surprised. Right, right, right. I mean, yeah, that could be like a, you know, that could be like a, like a couples, a couples one, 
you know, I maybe like- maybe they do a maybe they do a like a Warren Beatty. They do like a they do like a I was going to say like a, a Tracy DLC, and one of the and one of the things is bonus. You can unlock Clyde as well. Dick Tracy and Clyde from Bonnie and Clyde. Wow, that's yeah. Um, you know? uh, I mean, look, I would play Fortnite. Honestly, I think Warren Beatty would love that. But also, I don't know, because it also feels like the moon landing reference and the Clockwork Orange reference make me think it's a Kubrick. But I feel like that's... But also, remember, too, they say they faked the moon landing in 1860, is what this reviewer said. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Oh, God. Okay, well, that's interesting. What was it? Can you read the first one for me again? Can you remind me what the first one was? Okay, sorry. Um, Yeah, so the first review... Is I hate the fan base for this. The only appeal that this film has is a soundtrack. I hate everything else about it. Um, I don't know why anybody ever cared for this film. Some things are simply a mystery. If you're new to classic cinema, I would recommend so many other films to start with that are so much better. Fan base, the soundtrack. The middle one talks about banjos. When I could have Max Bonnie and Clyde's like a very rural American story, so that would make sense. I think the I mean maybe it's like another fan base makes me think that it's another movie about a bad couple doing bad stuff. Maybe it's like a man saving. Can't be trying to think like bad fan base. Can't be Taxi Driver that does not have a very doesn't have like a memorable score. Uh Fuck it. Okay, middle one, I'm going to say Body and Clyde. The first one, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Gone with the Wind. And the third one... I'm... I don't think it's correct, but I'm going to say 2001. Okay. Um, You are correct in that review number two was Body and Clyde. Yes. Other two films you did not get right. My, uh, my, My tangentially related was Famous Couples. Mm-hmm. So review number one is Harold and Maude. Review number oh, two is Buddy and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Review number three, obviously, is Shark Boy and Lava Girl. That's fucked up, Caroline, that you would do that to me. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And then I saw oh, that review boy. and I said, I have to read this. That makes Fortnite Battle Royale make so much more sense, actually, as a component of that review. Were Sharkboy and Lava Girl, are they playable characters? No, but like the, the aesthetic of Sharkboy and Lava Girl is very Fortnite-esque. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm excited to watch this movie. All right. Yeah, me too. So uh, we oh, will. Yeah. Uh, we are going to head into our break, and then we'll see you all in just a moment after we've watched the film. Hi, everyone. This is Caroline with How Have You Not Seen? Um, Normally, this is where we would put an ad break, and um, we are going to direct you all, um, starting in uh, with our 2024 season, for the remainder of the season, and hopefully not much longer after that, but who knows, um, we are going to ask that in lieu of following one of our sponsor links, which we love and we're so thrilled to have them, 
Um, we are going to ask you all to head over to PCRF.net. That is the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. Um, and if you are a fan of the show, if you're listening to the show and you're hearing this and you do have some money to spare, uh, we are going to ask that um, in this time you send some money over there. That would really mean a lot to us. As such, we are also going to be donating all of our uh, January Patreon funds um, to the PCRF as well. We just really think that uh, at this time, that's something that's really important to do. So again, that is uh, PCRF.net. That is the Palestine children's relief fund anything you can give it all goes towards helping children on the ground in gaza and in the west bank and in palestine so uh thank you all so much uh for listening and we're going to get back to the show uh we're we're back we are back we gotta jump into what's up with the scene where you couldn't fuck <sighs> you know i feel i feel like that is going to be fairly ripe for conversation <laughs> I enjoyed this movie. I'm not going to say that I, I really enjoyed this movie. and I find it to hold like great historical value. Obviously it is this like Titanic work of early new Hollywood. It is about this, um, you know, and whatever, 40 some years after the actual event happened, but like about this, like very well known, but heavily mythologized period in American history. Um, and so I find found the film to be very entertaining and also very important. However, Nothing made me sit up in my seat and look at the screen and do the Leonardo DiCaprio meme more than what's going on? Why can't he? What's happening here? What is this? Yes. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I think that's kind of, I think it's thematically fraught. Sure. I think it's, I think there's a lot there to kind of pick apart. I don't think there's a very easy like, ah, yes, and blank. But also, I think that's kind of entirely what the movie's about. So we can kind of start there, or we can kind of build up to it. But what oh, overall, so so overall, it sounds like you liked the movie for the most part? I, I did. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it was Okay, good. cool. Well, why don't you tell me about, why don't you tell me about your experience with him not being able to fuck, and we can kind of take <laughs> it from there. Okay, so I, here's why I think this is, one, because I think that scene in particular, and, and later it is, it almost, once they finally do have sex, it almost makes it retroactively sit a little bit neater in the film for me. Of course. But at that moment, it is so, uh, to, to the point where, like, I rewound it and I rewatched the bit because I'm like, did I miss something about this scene? Did I miss, like, a look or a cut or, like, some implied action that, like, you know, shows me why this is not happening? And I, I don't think I did. But I think it really ties into the film's entire conception of like who Clyde is as a person, right? I think it's this really interesting, and it's a fairly early Warren Beatty role. And Warren Beatty is one of these like, one of these biz big mythic Hollywood leading men. He is in some ways like a, like a Jack Nicholson, like a Tom Cruise, like a Will Smith. One of these guys who just had this incredible string of hits and got to the point where like, he needed to so fully control his image that like yeah. he had to also produce and sometimes direct the movies himself just so he could really contain the thing that was the Warren Beatty image. Right. Like Warren Beatty is not like Warren Beatty is not an actor in the way that like, say maybe like 
you know, like a Ryan Gosling's an actor where it's like, he's a guy who you hire to do a movie that you are directing. Warren Beatty is a, Warren Beatty is Warren Beatty in that he is kind of like, I am in and of myself a product. Like the roles I take, the films I do, the way those are portrayed on screen are all very carefully chosen and crafted by me, Warren Beatty, in order to make Warren Beatty a force in this industry and in this and in Hollywood. Yes. He, I think the like, you know, I think the best, there's kind of the two modern equivalents that I think of, and one's a lot better than the other one, but there is a Jared Leto and yeah, Jared Leto, of course, one of the the cleanest and one of the cleanest, most well-recognized and most audience friendly actors (laughs) in Hollywood. Um, But no, it, it really, it makes me think of Will Smith and his like incredible miracle run where he had what like fucking like, six, seven, eight, number one movies at the box office, like in a row. And part of that came from the fact that Will was very specific about like, there are these things that make up a Will Smith movie. Like I need to be, I need to be a hero, but I need to have a flaw. I need to make jokes, but I need to have a love interest. I need to, you know, these like, like really broke down the math of like, this is what makes a number one Hollywood box office hit and protect his, his image such that like he makes jokes that are, fun for the adults and he can get a little spicy, but fundamentally all of his movies work as four quadrant, like kids movies. And, and, you know, and I think the modern equivalent of that now is like the the rock where it's (laughs) much worse, the much worse, but like hyper, hyper commercialized contentitized version of that is like, well, the rock has to have this, he can never lose in a fight and he always, you know, whatever the rocks, very specific rules for making himself, less a movie star and more like a walking brand. No, correct. Um, yes. In the way yeah. that everything, in the way that everything in, uh, in contemporary filmmaking is uh, like some AI algorithm t- attempt to take something from the past, like take something that has worked in the past and make it like 5 million percent more consumable to an audience, like via content the rock that is that is what the rock is to warren Beatty. absolutely the rock makes movies that have no ironically given his name being the rock these movies that are so so smooth like they have no edges to them you can swallow them so easily and that is their entire purpose like their entire purpose for being some rocks that like for example rocks that live in the bottom of streams yes yes quite smooth they get very, very smooth. Not you know? Smooth. See, this is also great lead up for later in the season when I make you watch The Rock's uh, greatest movie, um, which I won't reveal now, but I, I think if anyone knows Did the we Rock, officially get that on the schedule? I think we did. I'm pretty sure I pushed for it really hard. I, I know really you did, but we also, it. but we also, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll come back to that. Dangling thread. Anyway. Dangling thread. Anyway, all of this is to say that you know, I think Warren Beatty is also well known now as as this guy who got so lost in the sauce of his own image. You know, he's this guy that like never got married because he needed to maintain his history as like a, you know, an irascible bachelor. His movies ended up getting bad because he just couldn't, you know, couldn't allow for change in his life. But, and yet, here, earlier in his career, at the beginning of New Hollywood, whereas he was this guy, this new Hollywood guy who kind of stood head and shoulders above all of these other, like, very, you know, complex, like, weird-looking character actors, this, like, beautiful, hot, all-American boy. In this movie, this, like, Titanic, you know, this thing that really kicked off his early career and made him this household name, he is 
playing a like a I, I you know like not a not like a character actor role not like it's not like Clyde is this super complex seedy new Hollywood dude he's not fucking Travis Bickler or whatever but he is very weird. There is this very weird seedy undercurrent to this character that I can't quite put my finger on. And I think that the scene where he can't fuck really elucidated that for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, okay. Uh, I think this is all really, really, really awesome. Um, I think, yeah. And I mean, to take it into kind of, um, to kind of take it into, the he can't fuck thing to take this whole conversation there. Um, I think, okay. So I think what kind of sets, <laughs> I think what kind of sets Warren Beatty apart from the rock, which is <laughs> truly not a, truly not a lead into a sentence. I really thought that I would be saying uh, 10 minutes ago before we uh, hit record on this, but I think it's after a conversation. Um, I think the main difference is that whereas modern day movie stars, modern day film, modern day like studio blockbusters, they are about getting as much product to as many people as humanly possible. And the way to make your star power really, really shine in that world, unless you're going to be a Robert Downey Jr. who's taking on like the iconic character of the genre, you know, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you want to be, the forefront at the forefront you become the most um you become the most uh like visually recognizable but like like viscerally like unproblematic thing you possibly can in 1967 when the when we are at a point in history where the Hayes code is still intact the production code is technically still on the books when this movie comes out, but it is weakened and it will be completely removed and completely replaced by the MPAA the next the next year, I believe, in 1968. The way you become the hyper-controlled star of your own, you know, of your own making is by being a really complex and interesting artist. And I think the whole coming all the way back around to can't fuck. I think is um, a really fascinating choice in that I think thematically it works for the film, even if it's a little, even if it's a little clunky by like modern day standards. Um, I mean, like, let's track the arc of it. It's a guy who walks on it, like walks into the scene, right? Uh, he's uber confident so well dressed he's like you know he's so charming and charismatic and like what are the first two scenes we see with him he is like probably gonna steal the mother's car right like he's about to steal this car and then she calls him out and he says he he knowingly lies to her but is like uses that as a pickup line basically like you want to go on a date they go and they get coked and they're standing on the street corner a scene full of nothing but oral fixation like he's literally chewing on a matchstick while he's chugging a Coke where she is very delicately, like, like very delicately sipping it. Um, and then it's just like, 
and then he robbed the store to impress her, right? Yeah. It, these two scenes of ultra masculine uh, bravado, I almost said vibrato, which is not what this is, bravado. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all a front. I shouldn't even say it's all a front, but it's all a, it's all a, it is the other side of the coin of this man's personality of mm-hmm. he feels small. He doesn't feel like he exists. He doesn't feel real in this world of, you know, in this world of hyper depression, in this world where there's no opportunity. He like, doesn't feel like a real person and he can't connect to anybody and therefore he cannot fuck. And then once yeah. they get to the end of the film and he feels like they've done something worth remembering. They've done something where he is now like a, he is now like, like Clyde Barrow means something like Clyde Barrow is a person that people know that means something to people. Then he's all turned on. Then he has like a fully formed personhood. Now he can fuck and be like vulnerable and exist with her. He shows her his personhood. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of clunky, in a weird way, but like I, I think when you get to the end of the film, it all works. And I think, I mean, I don't want to just, I don't want to just ramble at you for uh, like twenty minutes about this, but like, yeah, I think one, I think that's so subversive for the time where like mm-hmm. sex was not shown on screen, and when it was, it was a, it was a very like strong masculine man making strong masculine love to a woman right like that was what it is and even then so much of it was implied so that in and of itself is so subversive of like hey like you know Clyde Barrow like that American legend we all know like like maybe maybe he wasn't like this big masculine hero type like maybe maybe there was something more going on there maybe like we can talk about how like people actual actually have like vulnerabilities and complexes and like sexual impotence and he doesn't have to do that and then conversely even more subversive than that is like we are shown a dynamic in which there is a woman who is horny (laughs) and she is extremely actively saying yeah she is actively saying i am a woman i am a human being i would like to have sex i feel like i want to have sex i think sex is cool actually would like to do it i enjoy it Please, for the love of God, why won't you touch me? Yeah. And that is a problem that, like, this woman has sexual feelings, sexual urges, sec- like a sexual, like, personhood that is not being met. And that is a problem for this couple. And that's mm-hmm. fucking insane in 1967. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's important that to go back to your discussion of the beginning of the movie, that it's she sees him as a sexual object before he sees her. Like, literally, just in the in the mise-en-scene of the fucking movie, like, she views him before he sees her. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's all, and clearly, like, she, there's all these little moments of, like, and I, I think that there is a version, and obviously, again, this is the 60s, I think we need to set this in its time, and a lot of this feels very, a little second wave, a little, like, post-Freudian psychological kind of stuff. I don't think that it would, you know, be handled in exactly this way today. But there is an amount in this movie in which she is like, look at me, I am a sexual object. Look at me, I am a sexual object. You know, the, like, take a photo of me with the gun and the cigar. And both of those are so obviously, you know, also these phallic symbols. Uh, this movie's, this movie is about hunger, 
so much. There are so many scenes of people eating sandwiches in this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> to the point that I noticed it. And like, they're really chomping on them too. It's like, you know, these big, weird, floppy sandwiches. But, I, you know, I think it's specific. I also, you know, and just looking at the Wikipedia, it seems like the original intention of the movie was to make it even even hipper and even more subversive. And there was this, this like cabaret like notion of, okay, like what if Clyde's gay and what if they have this three-way relationship with the getaway driver? And that obviously is not going to fly. And you were right. This is, I looked it up. It's the year before the MPA started. Um, yeah. It's not going to yeah, fly yeah. even post MPAA probably. Um, but, but you know, where they land kind of feels like this halfway point between, okay, well we want to make this thing that is, so 60s and so subversive and you know maybe the i imagine the studio's idea for this movie is a lot more a lot more like big big studio hollywood historical epic a lot more cleopatra and they kind okay, of more glitz and glam yeah yes yes and they kind of found the middle place but yeah it's 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 a good movie i like this movie a lot yeah it's great it's yeah. really it's 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 a very good time uh in many different ways like and I I I love the idea that like I mean obviously like it's about historical figures so like it needs to be set in the time when they are mm-hmm. but I love the idea that it is like set in the great depression and it's the 60s take on like yeah. on the uh, on the heroic bank robbers you know like which was such a which was such a trope in in the great depression you know, um, and I love that it is just like this, like, okay, like we can, like, that was an era of film that like the Hays Code was intact for, right? Like when they are making, you know, when they're making like Scarface, the original Scarface, like the Hays Code is in action. And so it's like, you know, uh, in, in all of these old 30s, like cops and robbers, like the G-Men movies or the whatever movies, like, uh, the, the bad guy needs to die. Like he needs to die. And it needs to be a cautionary tale about like, yeah, you know, we all, we all love them bank robbers, but, uh, you know, like actually it's bad. And like a life of crime doesn't pay kids. So like, well, it's fun to watch them in the movies. Like this is what's going to happen to you. And it's like, this movie still has all of that, but it's kind of grappling with it through this new lens of like, it is like, it is like a tragedy in the end when they die. Right. It's not like a foregone conclusion. It is like they get betrayed. And it is very sad. And it is shot in this like, like elegiac way, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it's very upsetting. And it's just like they come out of the bushes. There's no glamour in the killing. Right. Like the the most glamorous thing about that ending is how the two of them die. Right. Like that scene is you see like muzzle flashes coming out of the bushes, but you, I mean, you fucking see Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, like in a way that is kind of fetishistic, like in a way that is kind of sexual, like getting their bodies rendered by bullets and just writhing, writhing on the ground. Yeah. And like, there is, there is, there is no, in this film, there is no glory and taking down the bank robbers. In fact, it's seen as a pretty cowardly thing. Mm-hmm. And like, there is so much, like there's kind of so much sex in getting absolutely ripped apart by Tommy guns. Yeah. 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 And that's cool. 
Like that's like objectively cool. It's a really affecting and the them choosing. I I, I felt like the there to me there felt like there was something so modern about that final shot about we have you know we have this climax and then it just cuts to the you don't even fully see the aftermath you just see the the men who have done it you know you see everybody looking on which is also very important to this movie grappling with itself as a work of of essentially Bonnie and Clyde fan fiction of like there's all these moments of them contending with the fact that they are building their own mythology as they are being mythologized in this movie. It's the whole, it, it kind of goes back to the whole sex thing. It's, it's like you said, it's they, in, in making the legend of Bonnie and Clyde, they become whole people. Um, but man, it's, it's, there's something really modern about that final shot that I really, I enjoy. And I think it's so cool. And the, the treatment of the cops just feels very, very sixties, very seventies as well. I mean, like they make a point of, to the point I read, like in the Wikipedia page, the family of the actual Texas Ranger who brought them in, like tried to sue the company, the production company, uh, for, def- for like defamation. Cause I guess in real life, it was just like, some well-known Texas Ranger who is mostly retired. And they were like, Hey, can you like come out of retirement to help us catch these guys? Cause we think we got them. And in the film, they make the, they make it very specific of like, he is not bringing them in because he's trying to, you know, you can even imagine a version of this film. That's not like completely valorizing the police, but a version of this film. That's almost like, almost like Harvey Keitel and Thelma and Louise, where it's like, you know, look, come on, I'm doing my job. Like, yeah, I don't he's a you. type. It's like, yes. I don't got nothing against y'all personally. It's just y'all, y'all are breaking the law. You're holding up liquor yeah. stores. Like, you're, what do you want me to do about it? Like, you killed some people. This needs to end. Like, if yeah. you're not going to stop, then I need to stop you. But like, it, it's very much not that. The cops are the only police officer who's characterized as the man who finally kills them. And the reason that he goes after them is is completely personal. It's because they humiliated him. Yeah, and he's like that literally is, like a mustache twirling villain. Like, Yes, literally. He's <laughs> not even, not even. Like, not even. He is like, he is like basically a prop. Like, he's basically like yeah. a really shitty Terminator, right? Like, there is no interiority there. Yes. And like all of the other cops are literally just like guns that move. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. which, like, hey, <laughs> that's real life. Am I right? Um, no, yeah. Uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. Cops are people because they would have to be people to be so unabashedly racist. Um, <laughs> true. Um, you need to have a human brain to be that like racist and corrupt, is what I'm trying to say. It's very true. Um, what was I saying? Oh, but the, I think in general, I think one of the things about this movie that feels a little, and I, I truly think it's like looking at it from a modern lens. I think in the 60s, it just it, it just at that time feels very modern and very immediate. But watching them in the 60s, like their treatment of society in the 20s, like in this early Great Depression era, I, I think that at times the movie is trying to make this message that is very social, when in reality, the movie is purely psychological it's it's really is i think when it's at its best it's about the characters it's about you know bonnie lusting to get away from this it's about clyde trying to make a name for himself it's about the relationship between the two it's about the the uneasy alliance between the entire gang like that's the stuff that really has a lot of emotional weight to it that's where all the juice is and every so often the movie will take a beat to be like yeah it isn't the common man getting bullied by these these banks, 
bankrupt bankers. But I, I, I think that looking at it as a work of fiction from the 60s, you see this isn't really a work about the Great Depression. It's about using the Great Depression to reflect what is going on in the mid-60s, which is a lot of people feeling you know, kind of psychologically displaced. It's about this new generation. It's about the hippies. It's about, you know, people feeling like, like as though they have missed something in the like 1950s Eisenhower idyllic version of America. And so I don't know, it doesn't always work for me, but it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, there's a lot going on in this, in this, in this movie. This there really is. And I mean, like it is. Let's talk about Gene Wilder. For a moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a fucking weird. Here's the thing. Love Wilder. So funny in this movie. That scene. Bizarre. Comes out of nowhere. Is such like a come on. We need like 15 minutes of more goofs and laughs in this movie. Or we can't sell it to middle America. Yeah. No. I mean it's that. But also like. I don't know. Like I love. Like. Don't get me wrong. This is one of Warren Beatty's like earliest movies right um but he's doing you know he's doing theater in the 50s you know he's doing like a bunch of tv stuff in the 50s um it like legitimately feels like like the gene wilder stuff it literally feels like they are like let's get somebody from a completely different school of acting from warren and faye you know and like, let's do a baton pass across the eras of Hollywood. Yes. Like we're yeah. doing like, like it really, like he feels like, so I don't even want to say out of place because like his character's out of place, but it's like, mm-hmm. he is giving this like really like, I don't want to say naturalistic because it's not naturalistic, but he is giving this very like, um, he's giving this very like psychological performance like he's giving this very neurotic performance he's self-aware he's aware of he's he's almost downy juniorring it he's like winking at the camera every two seconds yeah and like and and he's like playing i mean he's doing the gene wilder thing that we talked Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit over on patreon.com slash hhyns pod about uh when we were doing our mel brooks stuff is it's like he is so funny because he plays everything so straight Mm-hmm. And like he's playing these like really, really, really goofy little moments, like with such like with such like uh like what's the word? Like he's playing them so small and so self-conscious, like as his character yeah. that they just become so fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. And like it There's really a, does a kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's so it's so good. Like I love I, like he is like Yes low-key one of my favorite parts of the movie i don't know it's a great bit yeah like i don't know if i am like the best part of bonnie and clyde is gene wilder and i think like but it is one of those things where it's like whenever i watch this movie i'm just like i kind of like start like rubbing my hands together and like oh like oh boy here we come like as soon as like as soon as they start like going to steal his car because it is such a treat for me (laughs) It's he's just macking on a lady, which uh, again is something we have not seen until this point in the movie because they've made this specific point of we're not letting our two leads get it, get you know too sexual with each other. Um, it feels his entire bit in the movie, which I, 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 I obviously I love. It is it is a weird rough patch in the movie because it seemingly is so distinct from everything else, both before and after it. 
there's something about it that feels almost Shakespearean. It, it feels legitimately like you're watching Macbeth and things are getting a little bit too heavy. So somebody's like, all right, here comes the porter. He's going to do a comedy routine for five minutes just to make sure that everyone's like not too, <laughs> not too afraid and, and scared. We need to chill out. Um, and to the point where I was almost like, is he even going to interact with Bonnie and Clyde or is this just like a distinct, like they're off in the distance and this is a distinct comedy routine that just sits in the center of the movie. Yeah. And like, hey, everyone, we know that this like tragic romance <laughs> about like early, you know, Amer- the American South and the Great Depression is getting a little heavy. So let's all take a moment. Here he is, everyone. Mr. Gene Wilder, here to do a routine for you. And it's, it's so it's true. Good. It's good. It's good though. It's good. And it feels so distinct. You got that Gene Wilder thing of he's playing these ridiculous situations completely straight yet seemingly like, I don't know if I distinctly talk about this at all when we were talking about Mel Brooks, but there is this thing that Gene Wilder does with his eyes where like when his eyes cross where the camera is in the frame like hypothetically where the camera would be in space as it's shooting Gene. Yeah, yeah. Can, you can almost just, it's not like he looks directly at the audience, but it's as though when his eyes cross the like center of the frame, his eyes almost just kind of stick where the camera is for like a second and they go a little slower than they should be getting across. He's almost barely bringing the audience in along with him. He's just almost getting to that like, do you see what I'm doing here thing? And it's, so subtle and it's so genius. Yeah. He's got this real awareness. It's great. He really does. And like, it is this thing where it's like, I feel like, I feel like one of the things that makes this like, just like the alchemy of this whole middle section. I don't even want to say work so well, though. I do think it makes it work so well, but just like so mm-hmm. fascinating to watch as an audience because you kind of have, you kind of have Faye and Warren doing this very like, old school style of like you know like golden age like almost melodramatic like performance right this very like this very arch this very like you know uh it kind of feels like you know like in the in the in the uh, in the lineage of like brando doing streetcar right like this yeah. very like like epic mythic performance style for this like text that is so you know that is so new and crazy and so like the the and so subversive so the the kind of like the 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 performance versus the text kind of has this interesting tension there i feel like you then have wilder who's doing you know what he's about to do for the next 30 years of film you know like this is like he has the same energy of like you took my blue blankie right like he has the same energy in the scene as he does for that um and and he's doing like you know i mean he's a supporting character he's just kind of like like he has he has the closest to like uh you know like and the moment where she's like i'm 33 and then he just gives that look like that's such like a that's like an i love lucy gag right like Mm -hmm. he's doing this material that's so like old school and like known but he's doing it in this very like this very mod this very like neurotic this very like new kind of way and so you just have this like swirl of style and substance in this middle section of the film that just like it really does feel like it really does feel like this is when hollywood changes like gene wilder comes in to screen and it's now just like here's 10 different things you can do in a movie 
Yeah. And it's, and it's, yeah. look at how different, and it's, you know, I think, you know, obviously there are movies, I think now in the linear, I look, a, Martin Scorsese, uh, uh, I think does the blending of comedy and drama and tragedy, like brilliantly. He's one of the great American artists when it comes to modulating tone in a single text. Um, but uh, like I said, this feels so Shakespearean. It does feel old school and it feels old school in a way that like, you know, in the early days of this as a medium, perhaps people would be afraid to touch. Like, you know, if you're doing a comic movie, it needs to be comic. If you're doing a drama movie, it needs to be dramatic. Um, something, a distinction that does, did not exist for a long time in, you know, uh, mid, mid century or rather just like mid era European theater. Uh, especially like Shakespeare. It's, it's a thing I talk about uh, in Shakespeare a lot when I talk to people about Shakespeare is like, no, we don't. Like when, you, like when you teach, when you used to teach undergraduates how to do Shakespeare, Carson, brag yes, about yourself correct. a little bit. I, drag, I, brag yeah. about yourself, baby. Yes, yes. Um, but yes, when I used to teach undergraduates how to perform Shakespeare and obviously performance style, highly different now than it was in the 1600s. But looking back historically, one of the things that is so distinct about Shakespeare's texts and obviously other people in the age did it too, but old Billy Shakes was really, really specific about doing it, was like, well, we're all acting in a troupe, and what I'm writing is mostly histories and tragedies. We do some comedy sometimes during the summer, you know, and we want people to have some more fun. But even in the midst of the tragedies, like I said, you need to have your Porter and Macbeth moment, where it's not just that somebody comes out and does a comedy routine, but the style of performance would have been so outrageously different it is not you know there's an extent to now where there is there is a distinction between comedy and like comic actors and dramatic actors but you know in modern american hollywood that becomes pretty thin comic and dramatic actors can pass between all the time we think of ryan gosling as primarily a dramatic actor but he works so well in comedy movies oh i kind of disagree with you on that but go on Oh, well, okay. We'll talk about it. Uh, we did talk about it in the past uh, because we record these in order. I think but, he's a great, great dramatic actor, but all of the, all of the, all of the uh, things that come to my brain when I think of Ryan Gosling are all him being comedic. Yeah, I, I think that's... Other than maybe Blade Runner, but that's like a different thing. Sure, sure. I, I, I see that. I see that. But like Adam Sandler, a comedic actor who has like two or three fantastic dramatic roles that he probably should have won an Oscar for. But like point being like in Shakespeare's time, there is a distinction. Dramatic actors are dramatic. They are doing the tragedy. Uh, the comic actors are clowns. They come out in the middle and they do a little routine. Like Will Kemp is not going to be, you know, is not going to perform Macbeth, but he is going to be the clown in every role. There is that in here, I think. Uh, all of this is to describe, like, it feels so distinct in a way that, you know, maybe is a little new for the time, but historically is not so. Uh, anyway, that's a very long explanation. <laughs> no, but, like, you're so right. Okay. I mean... So good. You, uh, uh, um, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about the scene when uh, Gene Hackman gets got. Yeah. Because... Oh, yeah, um, I think that scene is, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It is very, it's very harrowing, and it's very raw, and it is not, uh, it is not, you know, cool, like, bridge over the river Kwai, like, gunfight action scenes. It's, like, upsetting. Yeah, yep. Like it is, it is like, it is like, it is 
It is cruel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it, it feels almost accidental. Like I, I think, and the ending almost breaks this a little bit because it's so, it's like so huge and it's so much, uh, but like every time a gun is fired in this movie, you do feel the weight of it. It does not, it doesn't feel fake. It feels like, oh, that thing just sent a tiny piece of metal fucking hurtling across the sky, you know, at right. miles an hour in a way that's really scary. Yeah, no, I know. And it's like, it's yes, correct. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Estelle Parsons gets blinded just feels I think also really increases this movie's feel as like a kind of classical tragedy that that feels almost Greek. Um, But it's really upsetting. She, you know, he dies in this protracted, uh, horrible fashion after he only gets shot like the one time too. That's the other thing. It's not like they almost get away. It's so close. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I find some of the action in this movie to be a little boring. I, I think they do a good job of working with what they have. It does not stay its welcome, but I think it lacks the grandeur of earlier, you know, of your Cleopatra's, your Bridge on the River Kwai's, your like slightly earlier Hollywood studio stuff. Doesn't quite have the inventiveness of like some of the action movies that would come later in the seventies. It's not super grindhouse, but that scene I think works incredibly well. That is well, super gang. I, I mean, to some degree, don't you think that's kind of the point though? Like, yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, because I think about the scene when the cops cornered them at the first house, like right after the groceries are delivered. And it's like, again, it is not it is not the like, look at how cool all of this is. It is mm-hmm. the just like. Like, and I I know that Clyde like killed the guy and I know that they're like wanted for murder, mm-hmm. but it is this thing of just like. Of just like none of this is cool. It's mm-hmm. just like. It's not cool. It's not fun. It's like, it's just like loud death. Like people mm-hmm. just trying to like murder each other for really no reason, like over some money. And like also like, cause like the cops should not, I mean, theoretically anyway, the cops should not be trying to kill them. The cops, sh- the, the whole point of cops is that they're supposed to take them in, but it's just, they just come out and open fire on the house. Right. And it's yep. just like, it is just this thing of like, it is it is very long. It is very upsetting. It is very loud. And it is very like overall pointless because it's just like, none of them are actually getting, none of them are actually like, there's no strategy, right? Like this isn't like a military movie where it's like, Oh, like you cover me from the window and I'm going to like get like go down there, which is eventually what happens, but there is no like cool strategy where people are figuring stuff out. It's just people firing blindly at one another because that's what you're supposed to do. Because that, that's yeah. what a gunfight is. Yeah. It's not even a lot of, like, cover taking. No, I, I agree. And I think it's very purposeful that the action in this movie is not. I mean, it, it also goes to, like, look, them paying for their crimes is not glamorous, but them committing the crimes isn't very glamorous either. Like, I think right. it's partially character building, but I also think the rest of the movie follows this ethos of, like, look, the first bank they rob is <laughs> such a fucking dud. Like, there's nothing there. The guy's like, look, we we ran out of cash three days ago. Bank's over. We're closed. 
And it's played for laughs in that scene. But even following, it's not like this movie is like this whirlwind crime epic even. It's not Goodfellas. It's not, you know, none of the none of the crimes feel particularly glamorous. It's not even as though Bonnie and Clyde really... It's very pointed. There's no scene where, like, they get the thing that Clyde promises. You know, it's not like, hey, we're going to go to whatever he says. We're going to go to the best restaurant in town and have women wait on your hand and foot. Like, they never even get there. It makes all of it just seem really pointless and really personal, which it is. It's this personal beef that gets blown in up to mythic proportions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good movie. What do we think? So the only two Oscars this movie... Uh, won. It won mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress and Best Cinematography. Cinematography, I totally agree with. Um, Best Supporting Actress, what do you think about that? So, it oh, is funny that you mentioned that because I thought about this while I was watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And because it's like, you know, uh, the first couple scenes that she is in, um, and for uh, for those folks listening, that... Um, that is uh, Estelle Parsons, who plays Blanche in this film, one best supporting actress, which like makes sense. She's the you know the biggest supporting woman in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple scenes she's in, she's like purposely a little annoying, and especially in that gunfight, yeah. like her screaming is like almost comically obnoxious. Yep. And like I, because you know we we had talked about this um, in the in the first half. I had mentioned like it it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. It won two. Um, however. Um, you know, I, and I, I mentioned that this was one of the wins, so I was kind of primed with that. In that first like gun sh- uh, gunfight shootout scene that they're all involved in, I'm just like, this is what won Best Supporting Actress? Like, really? Because, mm-hmm. like, I have seen this movie before, but, like, I hadn't really thought about it at the time. Um, and then they get into the scene where they're running away, and she's having her breakdown in the car. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is where she, this is where she gets the nomination. I'm like, easy. I was like, right here, obvious. This is where she gets the nomination. Great scene. Really great performance in that scene. And then in the end, like that final scene when she has when she has bandages over her eyes and is like in the hospital talking to no one. Yeah. I'm like, and that's where she wins. Yeah, no, that's that that scene is so so striking. Yes. Visually and and, uh, and thematically. It's just so striking in every way. I do, I just wonder, it's like a you know, not that I'm super well schooled of the supporting actress actress nominations of uh, 1967, but I, it is. I'm like, because they all got nominated. You know, Beatty and Dunaway and Gene Hackman got nominated as well, and it's weird to me that that's the role that wins. Oh my fucking like god! The least flashy nomination, huh? Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, Estelle Parsons uh, wins for this film. Hmm. Uh, she beats out, uh, I mean, God, what a, what a, what a year, what a year. Um, she beats out, uh, B Richards in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. She beats out Carol Channing in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh. She beats out Catherine Ross in The Graduate, which is like the, the, the daughter of the girlfriend in The Graduate. Um, and then she beats out, uh, Mildred Natwick for Barefoot in the Park. Oh shit! So that is a that is a year. Okay, do you want to hear? Oh my god, do you want? Okay, real quick. Is it a good one? Real quick. Just like okay, Uh, best actor in a leading role is uh, Rob Steiger for The Heat of the Night, Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate, Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke, Spencer and Guess Who is Coming to Dinner, and Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde. 
best actress in a leading role is Catherine Hepburn, who wins for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Bancroft in The Graduate. Audrey Hepburn for Waiting Until Dark. So you have an Audrey and Catherine nomination in the same fucking year. Um, And then Edith Evans in The Whisperer, who I'm not familiar with that film, then um, Faye Dunaway for Bonnie and Clyde. That's wild. It's okay. This year, Timothy Chalamet um, and Jacob Lordy are going to get nominated for Oscars. So it'll be same same thing. Yes. Uh, Best Picture... 1967, In the Heat of the Night, Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, which like is kind of insane, but then guess who's coming to dinner and The Graduate. So, Modern Millie's not, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, Dr. Doolittle, Doolittle steals it from them. Is that one the one that's a musical? It is. There's like five Dr. Doolittle movies. I can't keep track of all of them. Yes, this is this is the one that's like on the the golden age musical that like kind of doesn't work, but like is a very Mm -hmm. large production. And it certainly has it certainly has its defenders, of course, but uh, like is kind of. I don't know, uh, kind of viewed as like a kind of a nothing burger, but with a lot of money behind it and like a lot of a lot of production value behind it, but like kind of like nothing. in terms of like actual like is this a good movie there's kind of like not a whole lot there yeah but look it's a guy who talks to animals so that's pretty fun Great premise on the poster he's writing a giraffe in the movie he's writing a giraffe i am looking at the imdb right now in the first clip of the trailer that auto plays is him writing a giraffe so i mean hey what do you know I'm going to say more that because Hollywood, as we all know is want to redo shit dr doolittle strikes me as a premise that is sort of infinitely rebootable, right? Because it's so thin. It's just this guy is an animal doctor. He talks to animals. Great. You can do anything with that. Yeah, but if there was a vet who could talk to the animals. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, whatever you want to do, if you want to make the animals puppets or you want to make them CGI, you know, whatever. It's weird that all of them have been bad, right? Like, it's weird. And most of them have been calamitous, like, like total calamities. Yeah. Have you ever seen the RDJ? No, no, that was just called uh, Doolittle. Yes. Like it's very insane. Insane. He is a doctor in the movie. It's not like they de-doctrified him. No, I know. I get it. But just. Do Do you know what the climactic action of that movie is? What the final thing he does is. Uh, he pulls a sack of gold out of a dragon's butt, right? Like that's. Yes. It's not a sack of gold. It's just like a piece. I think it's just like. Some garbage. It's like a bicycle or something. It's like a piece okay. Of okay. I thought it was the dragon was eating the treasure and then got a got a got because he has like a blockage basically, right? Yes, it's a lady dragon. It's a she. It's it's oh, okay. From Tre- it's actually the same dragon who played the dragon in Trek. Oh, nice. God, God, she's yeah. getting work. Um, For her. you know, I mean, like that's. I mean, okay. Here's the thing. As somebody, my my sister, my older sister. Uh, has worked in veterinary medicine her entire adult career, like was one of the very first jobs she ever she ever got, um, and has been in veterinary medicine for for her whole life. I know that that is a very 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 common thing that vets treat a lot across a yeah. lot of different species. Like yeah. it is just it is a thing that happens, especially with animals. So I understand how it's like, I understand 
how they arrive at maybe that is a plot point in the movie. The fact that it makes it from the script into the film, into the edit, into the theater is absolutely insane. It took a team of special effects artists. Probably, I don't know, I, how large is a common special effects team for like one scene in a movie? It probably took like 20 people a month to animate a CGI dragon getting a bunch of stuff pulled out of its butt by Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and the thing is- done that for a long time. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You do the same movie and it's like, you know, the dragon has a tummy ache and because there's like a blockage in his tummy or in her tummy, excuse me. Yeah. And Robert Downey Jr. gives her giant dragon Alka-Seltzer. Mm-hmm. That is, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Like he said, he says her tummy, maybe she, maybe she throws something up. Maybe he gives her a big dragon Heimlich. Like, great. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. The fact that he pulls it out of the butt straight to jail, like straight to jail, everyone involved. Here's, here's my take. And look, he's, a, he's gonna, we're recording this before the Oscars. And like, it's, it's one of the most faded nominations at the Oscars that Dowdy Jr. is going to win best supporting actor. Yeah. As much as I do love RDJ, and I think he's really good in that movie. He's probably not in my five, but he's a, that's a very good performance. Yeah, I don't think he's in my five either. No. But I do think that him pulling a bunch of shit out of a dragon's butt should just disqualify him from ever winning an Oscar. I do. I think I, I think that we should come together and say you're not allowed. I think it should be a 10-year ban. I think it should be a 10-year ban. ban. At least. At least. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Well, <sighs> this movie is very good i'm very glad that i've seen it i feel as though it it i i did not even realize watching it and then even looking into it a little bit afterwards you do feel kind of the tension between hollywood in the 50s and 60s new hollywood in the 70s you you can feel the two things kissing in this movie yeah cool you can yeah yeah kissing like bonnie and clyde yeah but not fucking no well, they do at the end, outside, on a picnic blanket, which is yeah. also an interesting choice. But I mean, hey, good work if you can get it. Good work if you can get if you can <laughs> you can beat the blanket. <laughs> I was just uh, saying do it outside, but yeah, also if you could to be the blanket that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway bang on. Okay, wait, I have one question for you. Is Warren Beatty do you think Warren Beatty's hot? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Really? I yeah. I look. It's curious. I, th- I think it's, it was watching this. It's like the same as, I don't know. It's like watching Jack Nicholson in Chinatown or whatever. Or, or like when we talked about heat, like watching De Niro in heat where I'm like, I understand that in the fiction of this movie, this man is very hot and he's dressed up in such a way. But sometimes I look at his face and I go, Oh boy, that's a weird looking face. Yeah. No, I mean like the thing is the thing in this movie is like, because he is playing like a sexually frustrated, impotent man, like mm, true true uh like when i watched this film the <laughs> when i watched this film uh the warren Beatty of it all doesn't really affect me um but when i see like screenshots especially of him either shirtless or in those first couple scenes and he's wearing like the plaid the plaid suit like uh yes please you're like how do you i am not kidding yeah warren Beatty in the first 30 minutes of ishtar sure is maybe the it's maybe top ten hottest anyone's ever been in a movie. That's what, like ten years after this? I gotta watch it. Yes, I'm gonna oh my god, have you not seen Ishtar? I haven't seen Ishtar. Okay, all right, we are so doing it next season. The cool thing about Ishtar, dude, okay, I, I knew everybody said this forever. 
And I was like, yeah, 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 that's the hot take. It's one of those takes that like is oft repeated. And then you watch the movie and you're like, oh, I was undersold how true it is. Yeah. Is that like the first hour of Ishtar is maybe the best comedy film of the latter half of the 20th century. And then the second hour of Ishtar is just like pretty okay. Like it's pretty good. (sighs) And that is like one of the reasons it has such like a poor reputation is because it's like, no joke, the first half is like one of the best comedies I have ever seen in my life. And then the second half is just kind of like, and then we got to finish up the comedy, right? Like, remember when this was the premise we set up in the beginning? Well, now we got to finish it. And it's pretty funny. It's directed by Elaine May. It's got you like Grodin's in there. Yeah, like we've got we've got Beatty and Hoffman like doing like with great chemistry, great performances and like Grodin's in there and like a nice supporting role. But it's just like, well, you know, like we set up a premise to a movie, so we got to finish the movie, right? It's have you seen A New Leaf and Mikey and Nikki? I have seen all of Elaine May's uh, depressingly short four film uh, filmography. Yeah. Look, it's it's Mikey and Nikki's very weird in that filmography because her other movies are all very. What's the fourth one? I haven't seen the fourth one. Uh, so it's the original, The Heartbreak Kid. Notoriously difficult. Uh, sure, 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 sure. I watched yeah, very, 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 very legal um, DVD yes. of it. You that is it from legalfilms.com. <laughs> I did website. Uh, yeah, and it's like it is like notoriously difficult to find. Um, it like only exists on like a few very old DVDs. Uh, and like, like you cannot, like you can only watch it in like one twenty p, like on like a Motorola razor, essentially. Like, sure, sure. Like, I mean, it's you know weird, like New Leaf, uh, dark but funny, dark but I- extremely funny, and Ishtar obviously a comedy, and uh, Mikey and Nikki, like the least funny movie I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there are jokes in Mikey and Nikki, but like, they're all kind of. You know, they all kind of hit you upside the head. You know, they're all the jokes hurt even more. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that the whole thing with Mikey and Nikki is in German. There's two there's two words for funny. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of which is like uh, one of which is like something that is like, ha ha funny. You see it. It elicits a laugh reaction. Like we all agree that that's funny. And Mm. there's another one that's kind of like, oh, that's funny. You know, sure, kind of sure. like, funny, haha, and funny, weird. There's like a different yeah. word. It's like it's like something like kind of makes you like turn your head sideways and go, huh? Yeah. And uh, and Mikey and Nikki is very much that kind of funny. It's yeah. very much like you 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 watch it, and you say, yeah, that movie's really funny. Like that movie's like really like clever and interesting and really makes you like really like you really appreciate some of like the wit and the the the, the humor and the and the cleverness that goes into that. Mm-hmm. But like you. D- it's it's not really a laugh riot. Yeah, you're not you're not laughing. You're not yeah. laughing watching this guy planning to shoot his best friend. Yeah, but it's a great movie. Great movie. And uh, it was there was a thing last week. I don't know if you saw. Like they apparently, I believe it was your girl Dakota Johnson. Ah, oh, love her. Might not have been her, but like there was there was a there was a, a headline last week that was like. The the movie she's been talking about doing forever, just like definitively, according to this headline, is happening. Like mm-hmm. it is happening. So uh, hopefully we get one at least one more from Elaine. Uh, yeah, wait, Elaine Mays or Dakota Johnson's in the? Have you not heard of this? No. Heard of this? Oh yeah, for no. like for like years, there's been like circling of like she wants to do this movie. Dakota Johnson's kind of been attached. It's like 
Uh, and it's just kind of like, yeah, like she wants to do it maybe one day, but like just last week, um, just last week, it was like, there was a headline that went around that said like, it is happening. Like it is going to happen. Yeah. Right here. Six days ago, Dakota Johnson confirms Elaine May's crackpot is still in development. So. Huh. So you're, I, they better rush that out. Cause if we get like Megapolis and the last Elaine May movie in the same year, that'd be, well, no, Megapolis is coming out like this year, right? I think so. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. That's, that movie's going to be weird. One way or the other. All right. Anyway. Well, Bonnie any, and Yes. Any last thing? Oh, crazy kids. Uh, they, they, they just like the Joker and Harley Quinn. I just, they just, they just, they just is like the Joker and Harley Quinn. Thank you all for tuning into the last episode of How Have You Not Seen the Podcast. <laughs> I am officially canceling it. I'm never doing this thing again. I'm logging off the call right now. Okay. Cora, would you like to tell the fine <laughs> folks at home where they could find out more about this podcast? Absolutely. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review would also really help out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Pod. Special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Pod. Oh, and that's it for Love Month. What a month it's been. Yes, yes. Is, it, is this... Is this last month? So week right? month? I think you're right. No, so. we're recording. Yeah, this, is my, this is my movie that we kind of. Yeah. 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 Next week, we're we're doing a movie that I'm choosing, but we're doing the movie for you. It's a it's a movie for you, Caroline. It's like a little gift to you. What 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 whatever could it be, Carson? Please, uh, it, please enlighten me. Because it's your birthday. It sure is. It's it sure birthday. is. We're going to be doing a movie that is uh, for Caroline's birthday, not because it's a movie that I even think she's going to love all that much, but because it works into a odd bit we have going on. Uh, yes. We are going to be doing uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2021. Is that when that movie came out? That sounds right. It sounds right to me. 2021. Um, uh, musical adaptation, Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah. And yeah. so here's 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 the fun deal is um, for Tick, Tick, Boom, it's all about turning 30. Yeah. And uh, at the time of this recording, time that we are recording this right now, I am 29. By the time this comes out, I will have just turned 30. But uh, we recorded the beginning portion of Tick, Tick, Boom already. Mm-hmm. And then we're recording. <laughs> You'll hear all of this next week on the episode, but we're recording the the back half posts my 30th birthday. So kind of like, kind of like this film, I suppose. I've not, I've, I've not yet watched it in the temporality of, uh, of real life that I am recording yes. this. I have not yet watched the film, but, uh, it is, it will be the, it will be the, uh, the first thing, the first podcast I record is a 30 year old woman. So wow. Excited Here we to go. see your librarian glasses and your hair and a tight bun. Yep. And your, uh, new collection of sweaters. Yep. It's going to be great. Is that what 30 year old people wear? I think so. I think so. <laughs> Log on the call and start talking about your 401k. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out next week, won't we? Who knows? Next week, we're going to find out. We'll see you then.